Col de la Colombière. Really. But maybe it's Col de Colombière. But between all these mountains. Hello everybody and welcome to Broom Vagoon. Yes, your daily dose of bicycle, climbings, a lot of chat, a lot of different accent and some complainings. We're talking about French today. French is all over the place. French speaking, French accent, France country and French events. So yeah, French people are really well known as perfect morning people, but also Italian. They are also really, really good at complaining. But yeah, first of all, thanks everybody to still be here with me, talking, listening, sending me emails and contacts where hello at calamaro.cc is always my email. I received a couple of emails this week and I will let you know what they were talking about. Instagram.com slash calamaro. There you can find a lot of news and twitter.com slash calamaro as well. Also there, something I talked about, something that happened today, you will see, you will see. Just go there, have a look, smash the follow button on the both of them, and you can follow myself, my stuff, you can listen to my voice, you can watch to my stories, you can participate to my polls. And uh, yes, uh, my sponsors, Wahoo, thanks a lot, Element still on my bicycle, and Isadore. Today we have to go a bit deeper into Isadore because just yesterday I received some winter gears. I'm talking about one merino base layer, one long sleeve jersey and a thermal bib. Everything, okay, the top part, everything in merino, super comfortable, and the bottom part, the really famous bib of Isadore. I'm thinking about, also because I received some requests on my email, just for your information, calamaro.cc talking about, okay, what should I wear for my winter rides? Maybe I can talk about it in the future. Yeah, for sure. But for now, just tell you that they are really comfortable. I'm just waiting for the bad weather to come back because it's everything winter clothes. And uh, yeah, bad weather so I can use them. I really can't wait. Also because I love the color that, that I sent me, that Peter sent me. Thanks a lot. Peter Velitz and your twin Martin, you are doing great, amazing job and uh, just stay tuned for some news or have a look actually to my unboxing, it was in my Instagram. That's my sponsors actually and today I was telling you that we are gonna talk really about some French stuff. Yeah, I just talk at the end actually of the great event that was today. Before, I just want to introduce the guest of this week here at Broom Vagoon. I'm talking about Gregory. I met Gregory last Friday on one of my weekly coffee spin. The weekly coffee spin is a ride that is happening every Friday morning at 7 o'clock, 7.30 to be precise, 7.30 in front of the co-working space here in Berlin and is organized by List and Ride. List and Ride is a super new service that helps people from all over the world 
to rent bicycle when they are traveling. It's kind of, I don't know, um, a middle place where you can put your bicycle there so that people can rent your bicycle and you can rent this bicycle when you are going abroad. I would define it as kind of an Airbnb for bicycle. It's a super good service. They got founded just now. They made a crowdfunding campaign in Cedar and they went super good. And actually to be well known in all these countries and in all these cities, biggest cities, and actually because they are based in Berlin, they are organizing very often these kind of rides. For example, okay, the Berliner one is the most famous, it's actually the one that is happening more often. Then they also kicked off a new ride in, uh, it was in Riga, yeah, it was in Riga, in Latvia, and uh, yeah, usually sometimes they are doing it also in Munich, uh, yeah, there are a lot of these kind of rides around. But the main characteristic of the coffee spin here of Berlin is that a lot of interesting people are involved in these rides. I met entrepreneurs, young entrepreneurs. I met people, marketing people, developers. A lot of people with a lot of stories to tell. All with one thing in common. Love for bicycle creative people all together right now are riding bicycle. Before, if you want to have this kind of meeting, you had to go out to play golf. That's the thing that all the times Daniel, my friend, is saying, now, if you want to be cool, and if you want to share idea with people, creative people, you have to go out with a bicycle. And I think that the coffee spin of list and ride is actually the perfect playground. It was the first time that I met Gregory. We had a really, really nice chat. We were talking about his bicycle. We were talking about his experience. We were talking about his kind of way of riding. And he was telling me all the time, yeah, because you know, I am an endurance uh, cyclist because I really like to go outside by myself. I'm an individualist rider and go out for, I don't know, a couple of hundreds, maybe 300 kilometers ride. Wow, I said. So yeah, we started talking only at the beginning because you know when you are in a group ride usually you are changing your companion really often because usually you're riding in couples so sometimes you are you know you are swapping, you're going in the front, you're going in the back so you can have also several conversations not only riding. And uh, yeah, we talked only at the beginning and uh, then at the end just saying okay, goodbye, goodbye, okay, we are going to link each other on uh, the social networks. Then once that we were putting kudos on uh, each other you know on the ride that we did together i just had a look at his travel and i said wow and there was the description saying i finished the transcontinental race in 2015 and then i said no way it's not possible i rode with a guy who finished the transcontinental race really he needs to be here he needs to be here talking with me and being listened by you here at brunvagum that's why today, together with me, actually on the other side of the microphone, on this laptop, there is Gregory. Enjoy our conversation. And yes, today is here with me, as I was anticipating you guys, Gregory Barry or Barry. Yes, Gregory Barry, actually. But, uh, Barry, it's, it's, Barry, it's sorry, French my French name. is really bad. Yeah, no, it's a French, so you, in French we pronounce it Barry, but like the... The proper English-American would be Barry. Okay, so Gregory Barry, he participated to the 2015 Transcontinental Race. Thanks a lot to be here. Yeah, thank you also for inviting me, actually. 
It was a bit of an expected uh, after the talk we had like during the ride last week. So yeah, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, yeah. As I was saying, uh, yes, it's uh, we got to meet last Friday, but it was a bit shy, I think, Gregory, and they didn't tell me that he was one of the participants of the 2015 transcontinental race. But then, thanks to the digital world, I got to know that you did it. So <laughs> who is Gregory Perry? And uh, yeah, just a small introduction of yourself. Well, um, yeah, so um, yeah, I'm, I'm living in, uh, in Berlin, in, in Germany, since uh, almost like four years now. And um, I started cycling, I think, when I was like 12, 13. I got my first uh, BMX. And I, I really got hooked instantly with, uh, with actually uh, just cycling for the sake of cycling. Not, I was never really interested to uh, competing into races. First, because I was really bad at it. And second, it's because I, I really never had the, the occasion. Uh, I was always like riding on my own. I, my parents are living in the, in the countryside of southern France. So I grew up basically doing BMX and, and mountain bike. And then when I moved to big cities, uh, I find it pretty hard to to continue this to do BMX or mountain bike, so I switch naturally to fixed gear and, and road bike. And um, I also didn't really like the competition between the, the road cyclists, like doing criteriums or being in a, in a club. So um, after seeing some friend of mine doing brevet and randonnée, I, I just decided like that maybe I would give it a shot to long distance. And then like little by little, I really get hooked with it because it's really like um, something that kind of defines me. I'm, I really like being alone on, on the bike. I'm not saying I'm antisocial, but I really enjoy this time where I'm, I'm on my own and I kind of sort things out in my head and I can just enjoy a long ride without uh, being, without talking to anybody actually. And so yeah, little by little, I, I pushed myself a little bit more and I ended up participating to the transcontinental race in uh, 2015. Um, and since then, so it's been two years now, I'm, I'm still riding uh, not as much as I would like to because long distance take times and also like I have other constraints now that I didn't have before. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's uh, a little bit about, about my evolution into cycling, I would say. Yeah, I can actually confirm that you are a pretty, pretty, pretty social person. We had a really long chat during the ride. And uh, yeah, for sure, it's not that you're riding by yourself because you are antisocial. It's just that I think it's your attitude. And now this attitude just brought you to do the Transcontinental in 2015. Was something that come, that came just all on a sudden or it was something that you planned? or somebody invited you, how happened? Um, I had, so one of my uh, good friends, um, he started to do long distance by his own. He went uh, traveling around the US and Australia um, for I think a total of three months. Yeah, basically I was kind of living his adventure through his blog and I was like thinking, well, why, why not? Why not? I should try to do something like that. So in 2014, I decided to, uh, to try to go for a bike trip for two weeks with a friend in Italy and from basically Milano uh, to the Tus Tuscany and then uh, to Elba Island and then to Corsica. Then we went back to France um, and it was actually a blast. We really had a lot of, of fun and I realized that we can do 130, 150K a day, still having time for enjoying a couple of beers in the end and still visiting a little bit 
uh, on the road. So it's not really that you just pedal, but you also have like a huge amount of uh, experience with local people, with food, uh, with like um, touristic um, like monuments, places. Uh, and I was like, wow, that's something that's, that is actually possible. So um, I went back to France and the same summer um, I got a job offer uh, in Berlin and I moved to Berlin. And actually when I moved to Berlin, my girlfriend stayed in France uh, at that time. And she was planning me, she was planning to join me a bit uh, a year uh, after uh, to wait for me to have like a stable situation in Berlin to see if I would stay uh, a bit longer. And I realized that I was actually alone in a city I didn't really know. Um, and I had this, I've seen this video, I think a lot of people that are participating in the Transcontinental I've seen before uh, from uh, Erzui and, and Specialized, which is called uh, Melon Truck and Angry Dogs, uh, which uh, features Eric Knollin and, and Recep Yesil, which is um, basically, uh, Eric is a, a Swedish guy and, and Recep is a German, I think he's German, but also Turkish. And basically they registered the 2013 Transcontinental. Uh, the, the movie was basically to advertise the, a bicycle that is called the AWOL. But it was really well made, like they were really explaining the, 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 the struggle and uh, the hustle um, of everything you can encounter on the road, which is like the dogs, which is the trucks and basically the, yeah, and the wind, the heat and, and all of these uh, was really like turned into a way that it doesn't really look like a race, but the movie actually looks like they're going into an adventure. And, and I really compare that to my trip in Italy, where it was like, oh, it's just a little bit more kilometers per day than what you've already done. But it's also pushing yourself alone. Like, so it's, it's a bit more, but you can, you can probably do it if you really commit yourself. And so I decided to, to register, I think it was in November 2014. I got a response from Mike in December, say I could have a spot for the race. And um, in the meantime, I already started to kind of train a little bit, but since you don't have the final confirmation, you always wait. And then when I got the confirmation in December, I, I fully commit myself like uh, to, to train for the, the, the race, which was starting, I think, because Paris-Brest Paris was the same year. So the race started end of July. Okay. So it will allow the fastest rider to complete the race and then also to do the Paris-Brest Paris if they want to afterward. Okay. <laughs> and so, yeah, there was, uh, there was like... The monsters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But some, some of uh, the, the finisher uh, did uh, Transcontinental and uh, Paris-Brest Paris, I think. Crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's how I, I decided to, to register. I think at first, um, my friends, uh, my cycling friend, uh, they were thinking I was joking. And I think until, until the day of the, the departure, the, the start of the race, they, they all uh, thought I was like, yeah, he's never going to make it. He's never going to do it. Or, or like he, he will find an excuse at the, the last moment. So it was um, also something that really motivates me like to to kind of commit myself into the, the, the training and and once I registered, I really uh, like went all through all the bureaucracy, insurance, like uh, everything you have to, to give like for uh, the, to complete the, um, the registration. 
uh, as soon as I can, so I can really be sure that once everything is paid, that uh, everything is in, in order, that now I was like, okay, the only thing I have to do is to, to train for it. Yeah. And yeah, you were not only participating to it, committing to it and training to it for it, but you also finish it. And you finish it, it was kind of around 4,200 and stuff kilometers. And you finish in, uh, uh, let's see if I can remember. No, I wrote it down because I cannot remember anything, you know. My brain is here. In almost 16 days, you were telling me it was around 15 days and 20 hours. Yes, exactly. And uh, how can you keep yourself motivated for this all long time and how did you train for it well i, I think starting from the beginning with the training um and it, it's quite funny because this this transcontinental edition was a bit longer than the ones that were the last two years um okay. and and basically that when i started to trade i was i realized at that moment that there were absolutely no mountains around berlin like within oh, yeah. within a 300 kilometer range there is almost nothing and i realized yeah. i was like oh fuck but you're gonna cross the Alps, you're gonna cross the balkans and at that time i was like well balkans that should be more or less uh hilly but not too hilly and i was and i realized when i was drawing the first draft of the route i was like oh f it's absolutely not flat or hilly it's 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 climbing as hell it's actually the biggest part of the the um, the climbing is there and so I decided to, so I, st I started like in, in February, I think, really going out before in January. I usually, I try to work the, my core body. So I went to swimming pool and I cycled to work. I was commuting every day. That's, okay. that's what I did from, from basically, uh, let's say September 2014 to the start of the race is I was commuting every day between 10 to 40 kilometers depending on the weather depending on my schedule but okay. I, I was trying to keep uh, I was basically trying to spend um, the most amount of time on the saddle and every day basically it's not I was training once or twice a week it's it's really I was like spending as much time as I could on the saddle because I knew that without proper mountains I would have to have a good recovery and training the recovery is really something that it's pretty easy to do you don't need mountains for that you just need to ride every day every day every day until your muscles kind of get the um, kind of gets this recovery from your uh, daily effort so let's say you ride 10k for per day for a month then the, and then you go training but you, you still do the 10k plus the training then the week after you do 20k uh, per day and then you go training plus this 20k and these 20ks kind of feel normal afterward it's 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 a part of uh, your daily routines you don't count them as a uh, training mm, kilometers but they are there and basically mm. it's really hard to like you go for 150 kilometers and then the day after you go to work you ride 30 or 40 kilometers so you basically just had a, a night of sleep to recover and then you can see the improvement over the months that's the first i think the first time I went to the office after after 200k, I cycled okay. 30k and my legs were so sore that I had to stop. Uh, after 10k, I had to stop to basically kind of massage my my legs because they were so so tough. The muscles were so full of acid. So I was like, it's not possible. Like I have to to stretch it out. So I was stretching for like a 30k ride. I really felt ridiculous. And then. Crazy. 
And then over the, 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 the time, as much as I was getting close to the start of the race, I also increased the, the, the distance that I was doing and also the frequency. And the recovery was better and better, actually. Um, I, I was able to ride 400k in the, in the weekend and then ride 30k to the office on Monday, go training for 50k on the Monday evening. So basically, if you take over the three day, I was almost able to do five to 600k. Um, and I was still feeling good. I was not really destroyed. I mean, I had a, my job was, uh, I was doing well at my job. I had a, also social life. I could see all the people. It's not like I was just doing this, but um, yeah, so that's how I, I, I started to, to train. And then what I did specifically for the mountains also, I, yeah. I use a trick of the old people that are doing brevet. It's basically, I was spinning. I was not really, trying to use low gear. I was really on high gears, spinning a lot, like cadence between uh, 90 and 100 or 110 even, uh, even on the flat. Because you, you, get, okay. you get really, uh, it's, it's really easy to, to like put um, low gear and the big ring when you're on the flat, because you have a lot of inertia and it's comfortable, let's say. I mean, once you're at 30 average on your bike, you have your hands on the TT bar, the time trial like that you use usually to release the pain from for the, the shoulder and the neck so it's really a good position to hammer on but what i was doing instead is i was trying to uh, use as much as possible um, the high gear like pedaling a lot turning my legs a lot so it keeps your um it keeps your knee from being too sore to have too much uh constraint or strain uh, let's say yeah uh, because what happened most of the time is, as you can go for uh, two or three hundred k in a day, hammer as, as much as you can, okay. as, as as much as you're gonna be warm, it's gonna be great. But the, the day after, you're probably gonna have like knee that's gonna be super swallow and gonna be a bit of liquid in it. Like all the people that have done endurance over a couple of days would understand what I'm talking about. Is like your your knee are kind of bubbling there. They're kind of yeah inflating there swallow kind of full of, of liquid and this reaction it's because basically it's to avoid the, the friction uh, between the i think the different part of the knee that your yeah. your body is basically doing this reaction and then doing that riding um when your knee are in this state is really hard that's why a lot of people in the transcontinental are, br are bringing like ibuprofen or some mm -hmm. cream for the basically like uh, just painkiller because yeah, after a week you, your knee are basically hurting at every pedal stroke. So yeah, I practiced this a lot and that helped me also in the mountains because I really never pushed myself too hard in any climbs. Even when I started to do the Ventoux at the checkpoint one, I think I climbed the Ventoux in three hours and a half, which is really, okay. uh, I was overtaken by, by, um, by tourists with their uh, randonneur bike and, and panniers. They were faster than me. I think the GPS, you know, the, the Garmin, you, you can turn off and on after under five kilometers average. It turns off and on. It's the auto stop mode. And I think my Garmin was stopping and continuing stopping uh, off and on for the whole climb because I was super slow. But, um, but yeah, that, that was basically my technique on the, on the mountains. I, I really took my time, really like keep high cadence um, and somehow it's kind of easy if you just keep a high cadence the only thing you need is to drink and to eat and be yeah. patient and you have to be patient but there is no way you're never going to make it to the top you just have to really believe in yourself and then you just keep going 
you have to train, but it has to be enjoyable. And, yeah. and, and the reason why it's because you can go for training for 60K, you know, it's just 60K or it's just 100K. But if you go for 300 kilometers, you, you like a lot of things can happen in 300 kilometers. So you have to, to deal with that. So you have to really want to commit yourself to do this 300K. And because let's say it can rain at the middle of the ride and what you do, if you have 150K left, you have to ride, it's raining, you just keep riding, you know? It's not like if you're riding your uh, daily uh, training routes and if something happens, you can take the, the subway back home because it's not too far away. In, 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 in the case of long distance, you always put yourself in situation that you learn how to enjoy them. You learn to like riding in the rain, with the wind, uh, during the nights, and all of these things became kind of natural after a while. It's not like a, it's not a constraint for you, but it became almost a pleasure. Like riding at night, it's super nice with the sounds of the forest. You don't have much cars. Uh, you have the sound of your breeze, like the tires on the road and the tarmac, shifting of the gears. Most of the times you hear, yeah, like wild, feral animals. Uh, it's something really magical. You only have your, your lights. It's really some experience that's, well, that's and not a lot of people are enjoying. Like riding the whole night and see the, the sunrise. It's one of the magical experiences that long distances uh, is bringing to, to you as a, as a cyclist. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so, yeah, your main motivation so was actually to keep stable your goal to finish. Yeah, my initial goal was so I think we had I don't know I remember, but it was something between uh, seventeen days to finish. Um, okay. My goal was to finish in less than sixteen days, uh, okay. which I did, and yeah. um, so it's it's really there is several phases in the race. Um, that kind of plays on the on your on your mental or let's say your mood, and there is some days where everything goes well, and at the end of the day you just scored like 350k, and you're like, wow, it's great. If I do that, I could finish maybe in one day uh, in advance of, of my schedule. And there is some what? days it's really like raining. You've been chased by dogs. You couldn't find food or water for like three hours. And then you're like, oh, it's gonna be hard. I'm, I'm never gonna make it. Uh, so basically you have to keep your mind busy at okay. any time, which could be just trying to observe people on the side of the road, trying to take as much mental pictures as you can. Or you try to think about, I don't know what your friend could be doing at home right now, what, you, what your girlfriend is doing or um, your put on some music to just keep your mind busy but basically the toughest part to keep, like to keep the motivation is that you really should think about the the end it's it's something that you should have in your mind that uh, every every second it's like it's a pretty selfish and pretty uh shitty way of of racing that you cross these countries and you cannot stop but you have to think that it's it's not vacation; it's a race, and there is a uh, there is an end, and the end is Istanbul. Close to you, you know, participating to you, there were also people that were finishing. Actually, the first classified, yeah, the first guy that finished the race was Joshi Bet. Uh, I am also super bad with accent, and he finished below ten days. How can they do it? Probably they are doing it just as profession. I think now, Josh. Um, 
Georgi is like, I think we are the, the same age together. I don't uh -huh. think uh, he, he, he was a professional at any point. Um, but I think he had a lot of uh, experience about endurance and uh, 24 hours time trial uh, in UK, okay. basically. I think he, he held some records for 24 hours time trial with mountain bike in, in UK. I remember I was reading article of him um, where he was explaining that he was basically sticking uh, energy bar and gel to the top tube, counting every calories he would need for 24 hours. And then he was like, if something happens and I'm, I got delayed and I have to push faster, um, I won't have enough calories stick to my bike to eat basically. So I'm, I'm gonna run out of food before the end and I won't be able to finish the race. So he was really into this mindset before uh, participating to the transcontinental race. And also I think, yeah, he, him and, and Mike, Mike all the, the organizer, the founder, the director of the, the race, um, they were also, they are both um, British and I think they kind of knew each other. They're from the same small world of, of ultra endurance. So mm -hmm. they, there is some tips that you learn but you learn only by experience. It's, it's really, you have to experience them yourself. And basically one of the technique is like, he was kind of doing this micro nap, micro napping, I don't know. Ah, the power napping. Yeah, it's a power napping. So yeah, so it, it's, not, it's not the same as you sleep every four hours, but it's, it's a little bit between, uh, between sleeping every half an hour, uh, every four hours, half an hour. And okay. um, he was basically sleeping on a, I think his schedule for sleeping was a little bit different. You know, you don't count your day in 24 hours, but you, you, you kind of count that in between your nap, you count how many hours of ride you can have. And so, so you don't really care about riding at night. If it's from, if you wake up, it's midnight and you ride from midnight to 6 a.m. and then you sleep from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m., it doesn't really matter. And also, if you look at the top, I think top five or top 10 riders, Almost none of them had a lot of uh, mechanical issue nor flat tires. Oh, okay. I think Christoph uh, Allegat, um, yeah. he was, uh, I think, the second year of the Transcontinental and he was like saying that he had no punctures in, Crazy. in 3,800 kilometers. He had no punctures, not a single one. He was explaining something really cool. He said, a flat tire can take you seven to eight minutes to fix or two oh. hours. You know, yeah. you have a flat tire in the city, you stop on the side, you see a coffee, you put your bike on the, on the terrace, you order a coffee, you fix your flat, you check um, social um, media, then it's two hours. Or you have a flat in the middle of the city, you get a side of the road, you change it right away and you go. And that's eight minutes versus two hours. That's how yeah. they manage to also finish in, in 10 days. And yeah, and then the last part is also the, the training. They they also have like a kind of a training that it's it's not rocket science, but you you have to have the willingness to do it. You know, mm -hmm. you have to have the willingness to wake up at three a.m., ride like 150k, then uh, go to your uh, regular job, ride again on the evening, and if you have a family life, if you have like a job that is also really uh, time consuming, you you can't do that. Um, I think Josh uh, right now is, um, I don't think Josh is working right now, but he was working for Hunt Wheels. And um, so it's a UK brand that is manufacturing and doing um, building wheels, basically. And I think Christoph uh, 
I think Christoph, Christoph is, a, is a teacher. He's a, I think he's a high school or elementary school teacher. Um, and he basically uh, spends his uh, schedule between training early in the morning and uh, teaching. Yeah. yeah, 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 makes sense. So yeah, this comes directly to, you already answered actually to the question that I wanted to make at, after this. But actually, not everybody who is participating, actually looks like nobody who is participating to the transcontinental race is kind of uh, racers, real racers with sponsors and everything. It looks like they are only passionate people of long distance and endurance riding. So, okay, probably, uh, everybody has some sp sponsors, supports or whatever. I also believe that you add something, but you're not making uh, really money with it. No, I don't think anybody uh, was basically no. make everybody a house or something like that. I, I didn't have any sponsors. Ah, okay. You did it by yourself. Then. I, I did it by myself. I, I bought all the gears and, and then some. So it's a real commitment that you have to make because uh, in the end, it's, it's, it's a lot of money, um, yeah. but you learn so much about yourself about cycling in general and you you're talking to people that are as passionate as you are and are cycling for for what it is like sitting on the saddle and turning the pedal and enjoying outside you know there is no it's everybody's is, there is no bragging or everybody's super humble in long distance and they nobody will like just come to you and say oh you know what like you can ride just 300 a day. Pff, you're just you're a bummer, man. I can do five 5k a day. It doesn't work like that, you know. You, if you have the occasion to ride brevet or, or long distance, which are more than three or 400k with other long distance cyclists, you'll see that there is a real uh, team spirit. You know, it's like this uh, friendship. Even you, even if you don't know people, if you spend, I think it's if you spend five or 600 kilometers. Uh, with somebody that you don't know, at the end of the day, you know him probably more than most of the people that you spend a lot of time with on the on the daily basis. Because you will see people going through high and low, and you will see that you will see them in the worst situation, in the best situation, and that could give you straight away uh, an idea how these people are, and and they are really true. You know, it's it's so that's what I, I love about long distance, actually, and that's also what I like about. The fact that not a lot of people are sponsored and nobody is making a living out of it because you can keep this spirit, you know. Maybe in the in near future people will, will be paid for this race and I think the mentality will change a lot, probably okay. because of the money. I'm not saying in a bad way, I'm just saying that you will go from these kind of 20s, 21st centuries adventurist people to more um, sports people. Yeah, like you will lose a bit this free adventure spirit, I, uh, I think. Yeah, 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 understood. Yeah, this is actually, uh, you know, I'm not a competitive guy and uh, if I can still hear, and actually you are the third one, fortunately, in uh, in this new Brunfagun adventure that I'm having, that is telling me, okay, cycling is not about competition. It's not only about competition, but it's also about, you know, enjoying the bicycle, enjoying the sunrise at the end of your ride. And it's gonna be nice. Talking about this, can you tell me one cool anecdote that happened to you during this transcontinental race in 2015? Uh, yeah, so one of the cool anecdotes. So uh, basically, I think um, I was like in Greece and uh, I got a flat tire and it was like 9 p.m. 
and the wind was blowing really hard that I could not find the hole in the tube. I could not like fix it. So I was in the, uh, near Kavala, which is uh, between Thessaloniki and Alexandropoli. So I was um, on the coast and I decided to walk because there were like a restaurant like two kilometers away. When I arrived at the restaurant, um, I, I, I told the guy, I think I was like, well, um, can I eat here uh, on, the, on the terrace? Um, and then after I will fix my, my bike and I will go. And he said, yeah, yeah, sure. And then he asked me where I was from and I explained him a little bit about the race. And he said, oh, two, two days ago, two French guys came to this terrace and they, they had like a, they had like a mid-afternoon snack. And I was like, I was showing him pictures because two friends of mine were also doing the race and they were like two days ahead of me. So I was like, it might be these two guys. I showed him the pictures and he was like, oh yeah, it's them. And I remember I took a selfie with the guy and I, I sent the, the picture to my, my friends and they were in Istanbul, they were arriving in Istanbul and they replied me like, oh dude, you're, you're almost there, just keep pushing, um, you're going to make it. I was like super happy to hear from them and also uh, they were like happy to hear from me because I was not far away, I was not far behind. Actually okay. this, this flat tire really slowed me down because I could not fix it in the evening so I slept. The guy generously offered me to sleep outside on, on the restaurant terrace. Okay. So I slept there and in the morning uh, the wind just uh, cheered down so I could fix the flat tire and I, I went through the, I went to Turkey the same day so I was, um, I was relieved. But yeah, that's one of the cool anecdotes, I don't know. Yeah, that's cool. That's completely cool. And then, which, what's next? What are you planning then for next year or this year or next year? No, next year, 2018 is coming, come on. So like ideally I'd like to build a small long distance community in Berlin. I had okay. the, I had this in my mind. There is some there is some racers from the past transcontinental that are living in Berlin, so I see okay. them from time to time. But I would like I would like to bring some people from the more conventional road cycling uh, into Brevet and long distance over this over next year Brevet, so 2018 season, basically starting from February to to June. Uh, I would like to bring people to do two, two, three, four, five hundred kilometers uh, in a day. And um, also my next racing goal is going to be the Japanese Odyssey in 2018. So it's going to be normally in autumn. It's going to be September, okay. end of September, beginning of October. I contacted uh, the, the race director. He told me it's going to be in autumn this year. Um, so basically it's the same thing as the Transcontinental. It's roughly 3,800 kilometers. You have... 11 checkpoints and you can do the checkpoints in whatever order you want okay and what really uh, interests me is um, i really love japan um, i really have a strong connection with uh, japan in general I've, I've been there last year and um it's it's a, a country i really i really love the cycling culture there they have a strong uh, randonnering uh, culture and the mountains there are beautiful um, the, 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 the landscape, the countryside, the, the, the colors, everything there is really appealing. If you love cycling, if you love climbing, you cannot just say that it's, it's not attractive. I mean, you have these tiny, narrow switchback roads everywhere in the countryside. And that's really what I want to discover. So, wow. yeah, I'm, I'm fully committed to train for, for this race and, and building this community of long distance people in the same time. Um, yeah, that's my, let's say, next uh, goal. 
Great. Yeah. I will try to help you actually then in uh, talking about this thing during my podcast or whatever. And so sharing this with my friend for sure. I will try to give you some uh, contacts of these people that uh, you, you can build actually a community. You're welcome if you want to share a 200 uh, kilometers ride actually. Uh, but, but, but I have to say, I have to see, come on. But yeah, for sure, one of the 200 or 300 kilometers I can do it, but just once in a while, on a while. But maybe then at a certain point I can get addicted to it. You, you never know, know. The beers always taste better after 200 kilometers. For sure. <laughs> it's true, it's true, it's true. Thanks a lot, Greg. It was really, really a pleasure to have you here. And uh, for sure, we're going to meet each other soon for a beer. I owe you a beer. And uh, maybe after 200 kilometers ride. <laughs> and for sure, in, uh, in the next Friday's morning, for sure, we're going to have some other rides together. Well, thank you, Stefano, for inviting me. Uh, yeah, sure. Let, let's uh, let's talk uh, um, on Friday on the Listen Rhine Coffee Spin. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I hope like, um, yeah, this little talk will motivate more and more people to get into long distance and um, because I think it's it's super underrated now it came a bit more on the radar but but before it was really something that few people were doing and I think it's it's really something you can and discover yourself in a non-competitive way and more like a spiritual way so yeah yeah I hope you I could share this this passion and for this cool thanks a lot again and thank talk you. To you soon ciao So it was really, really, really a super nice chat with Gregory. Ah, hopefully we're gonna ride together soon, every Friday in the Coffee Spin. And you will hear about his new experience, next experience, soon, also here in this podcast. It's gonna be super long. It's gonna, we're gonna stay together at least till July. So bear with me. We are gonna talk also several times with the same people. So yeah, why we mentioned July? It was clear from the beginning of this podcast that my main goal of this season was to participate to the Etape du Tour, one of the stages of the Tour de France when everybody, all the amateur cyclists, can go and can participate. The day before is the stage that they are going to participate, they are going to ride, and the day after there is usually the same stage but ridden by the professionals. That's why actually I was thinking, okay, this is the perfect goal the perfect thing that I have to focus by the end of this podcast. Well, today it was the great day. There was the presentation of the Tour de France. Actually, it looks like it's a really, really a good edition this time. Okay, there are some kilometers, too many maybe, kilometers on the time trial, but anyways, I really like it, so who cares? And it's full of mountains. Pyrenees, and then there is Alpe d'Huez, there is also an amazing stage in the same cobblestones of the Paris-Roubaix, a lot of things. Well, for this reason, actually, I was dreaming last week, and I was saying, okay, which kind of climb, mountain, I would love to do next year into, yeah, the Etape du Tour. There are going to be really, really a lot of choices over there. So that's why I put a poll in the Twitter, and actually the first two that were most voted were the Mont Ventoux. I don't think that they're gonna do it this year. Sorry, I'm not so prepared, well prepared, but I think that they're not gonna do it. And the same, really same quantity of votes, there was the Alpe d'Huez. Alpe d'Huez that is gonna be actually the queen stage of this Tour de France is gonna be on the last Thursday of the race and it's gonna be on the Alpe d'Huez. But nor of those two were the chosen one, but it was the Col de Colombière. 
Call the Colombier that I also put in the poll and they just got something like three votes on, uh, I don't know, something like 60. Not so many, let's say. And uh, yeah, it was like this just because probably nobody knows it. It's in the south of France, uh, really close to the border with Switzerland, let's say between Switzerland and Italy. And yeah, let's say it's not the most famous climb in the world, but I think it's going to be a great one. Anyways, I heard some complainings, actually I complained also a bit, but I think it's going to be a great experience. The only thing is that it's just one week after the Maratona delle Dolomiti. That is also another race that I pre-subscribe that I would like to do. Uh, so the top two tour is going to be the 8th of July. The Maratona delle Dolomiti is going to be the 1st of July. And they are actually on the opposite side. So it's Maratona delle Dolomiti is in the northeast of Italy. And uh, yeah, the top two tour is at the border with Switzerland on the west side. Ah, uh, I still will see if I want to do the both of them, if I will decide... What do you think? So some appointments are already there. Maratona delle Dolomiti, etap du tour. And this weekend with, yes, my crew, with the Calamaro crew, the Calapac, we are going to be at, at the Carpegna. So uh, in the center north of Italy doing the famous climb of Pantani. Some friends of mine and also some other people will join me as well. And if you want to join or if you have something else to suggest that we want to do together, just write it down in the Excel file that is below in the description. Yeah, this small complaint, yeah, and this episode. Okay, this small complaint and also uh, a push of activity that I'm making on your side. The other one that is I'm doing all the time and still I cannot see this hashtag already in the top trends of Twitter is please write to Lance Armstrong saying be interviewed by Calamaro. He just started a new podcast, still stage, but this time talking about the triathlon, the Iron Man thing. Well, everybody of us want to hear his voice here in this pod in this podcast. Right? So just write, please be interviewed by Calamaro at Broom Wagoon, writing with hashtag lens at Broom Wagoon. Please do it. Thanks a lot to everybody and uh, yeah the last thing you heard already a lot of times the new title track music that I'm putting in all my episodes, don't you? Well, Crypt Thing, also this link is in the description below, help me giving me this original track for my podcast. He's a super nice guy and is giving me this amazing music. If you want to know more, check the link in the description below or send me a message so I can give you also his contact. Where you can send me the message? Really easy. Hello at calamaro.cc. That's my email. Instagram.com. Read Calamaro. Twitter.com. Read Calamaro. And on Spreaker, you will find, as usual, Spreaker.com. Listen Calamaro. And yeah, you can find everything also. Broomwagoon and blah, blah, blah. Also on iTunes. Stay tuned on iTunes and whatever you want for next week episode of Broomwagoon. Ciao.